Today on Ag News Daily. I kind of find it fell into it at a good time because during COVID there was a lot of shipment delays and like people couldn't get flowers like shipped to the local florists and stuff like that because of the international hiccups. August 10th here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I am coming at you all today from the Iowa State Fairgrounds. It's a great day here in central Iowa. The weather's looking great. The fairgrounds are full. I had the cattle show this morning, and it went pretty darn well for my probably last time in the ring. Couldn't have asked for a better day, but now it's time to jump into some weather to share with you all for the morning well i guess it's afternoon now so let's look at what successful farming has to share with us as flood advisories are in effect for counties in southern missouri where several inches of rain fell yesterday afternoon and evening leading to some areas of sitting water in low-laying areas the national weather service said the advisories will remain in effect for the area through mid-morning through the mid-morning. Storms are possible in the region starting again Friday night and likely to last into early next week. Further north, storms are likely in parts of central and north-central Wisconsin, Through though severe weather isn't expected. Another round of thunderstorms are possible in the region starting tomorrow afternoon or evening. The National Weather Service said there is a marginal chance of severe storms further east. Damaging winds and large hail are the main threats from any severe storms. Looking at our ethanol production report today, as ethanol production falls lowest in the past two months. Ethanol output last week dropped to the lowest level in almost two months, while inventories rose slightly, according to data from the Energy Information Administration. Production of the biofuel in the seven days that ended from August 4th fell to an average of 1.023 million barrels a day from 1.067 million in a week earlier. That is the lowest it's been since June 9th. In the Midwest, by far the biggest producing region, output plunged to an average of 965,000 barrels a day from 1.005 million a week earlier. Rocky Mountain production fell to 13,000 barrels a day from 14,000 the previous week, and West Coast output dropped to 9,000 barrels a day from 13,000, the EIA said. East Coast output, meanwhile, was unchanged at 12,000 barrels a day on average. Gulf Coast production saw the only gain for the week rising to an average of 24,000 barrels a day from 23,000, the agency said. Ethanol inventories were up narrowly, rising to 22.88 million barrels in the week through August 4th. That's up from 22.86 million barrels the previous week, the EIA said in its report. Jumping over to a, another article from Successful Farming on the Summit Pipeline. The specific terms of a pipeline company's contracts with ethanol plants in Iowa are key to a decision about whether it deserves a permit to build, an administrative law judge has decided. As such, the judge said last week that Summit Carbon Solutions should be required to provide that information to the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation and the Sierra Club of Iowa, which have sought the more information in a year. Summit challenged the proposed order with the Iowa Utilities Board, which is poised to begin a final evidentiary hearing on the company's hazardous liquid pipeline permit request in less than two weeks. It's unclear when the board will make a decision about the order. 
Summit has provided redacted versions of the contracts under a protective agreement that limits their disclosure to only attorneys representing the groups, according to IUB documents. Those attorneys must keep the information confidential. The company argues that specific details of its agreements, arrangements with ethanol plants are not germane to its permit process and that it doesn't trust certain attorneys to keep them secret. But Toby Gordon, an administrative law judge for the Iowa Department of Inspections and Appeals, who was tasked by the board to decide the dispute, said the contract details are necessary to verify the economic benefits of the project. Summit's witness testimony includes claims that ethanol plants will generate 10 cents to 35 cents of additional revenue per gallon if they connect to Summit's proposed pipeline system. The company has indicated it would connect to at least 13 ethanol facilities in Iowa that would be eligible for generous federal tax credits that reward them for capturing their carbon dioxide emissions or for producing low-carbon fuels. It would also enable the producers to sell their ethanol in low-carbon markets. Summit says its $5.5 billion project, which would span more than 700 miles in Iowa, would help ensure the long-term viability of ethanol production in the state and would benefit the state's agriculture. There is plenty more on this story continued on the Successful Farming website if you are interested in continuing on. But switching sides and looking at the EPA pesticide regulations on the Endangered Species Act, the environmental groups are pushing the EPA to better comply with the Endangered Species Act when registering crop protection projects. Aaron Hager, a weed scientist with the University of Illinois, says this will have an impact on virtually every pesticide application that takes place in the future. He tells Brownfield that there are several proposals the Environmental Protection Agency is working through. One proposed pilot project from the agency would limit pesticide applications from across the entire range of habitat for the endangered rusty patch bumblebee. Essentially, what the agency is proposing is there will be no outdoor pesticide application in the range of this insect. According to the agency's own estimate, that would be in excess of 1 million acres, and the predominant areas that are going to be impacted by this include the state of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. He says over half of the 1,700 species on the endangered list are plants, which is a major concern for herbicides. Hager says the ESA is already impacting products that farmers use. For example, the latest labels for Enlist 1 and Enlist Duo prohibit application in certain counties with known endangered species. Looking into our last report of the day on June pork exports, the U.S. exported 583.9 million pounds of pork in June. While that was down 34.2 million pounds from May, it was up about 50.7 million pounds from last year and a record for June. During the first half of 2023, the U.S. shipped 3.451 billion pounds of pork, up 301.4 million pounds from the same period last year. Shipments increased to each of the top five destinations for U.S. pork, which are Mexico, Japan, South Korea, China, and Canada. And looking into our markets for the day, going into September corn, they are in the green at the end of the day, leaving it at 483 even. December corn's also up to even, bringing it to 496. September beans is in the red at four and a quarter, leaving it at 13.51. November beans is up 11 cents, bringing it to 13.19 and a quarter. 
Moving down to hard red winter wheat for September, it is up five and three quarters, bringing it to 767 and a quarter. Finally, for our grains, look, look at September spring wheat, which is in the red, two and a quarter, leaving it at 817 and a half. Switching into our livestock markets, October live cattle are up 82 flat, bringing it to 182.52. Our September feeder cattle are also in the green, 95 flat, leaving it at 251.57. October lean hogs is in the red, 125, bringing it to 80.32. Wrapping up our markets for the day, December lean hogs is in the red, 125, leaving it at 73.77. Wrapping it up for today, our interview is Chris Vry, a flower farmer. the Iowa State Fair this week and ran into my brother-in-law's brother and his wife and they actually have a amazing farm of their own. It's called Funny Ass Farm and it has many different intricacies in it. So I have Chris Fry with me. He's the owner operator of this farm. Chris, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the farm that you own? So my wife and I both graduated from Iowa State and we ended up finding jobs in the area after we graduated and so I was finance and my wife Adrian was animal science and so we both found jobs in the area and stayed and so we ended up finding a acreage in Story City and so we're still close to the Ames area but Funny Ass Farm kind of originated from when we bought the place we got a little white donkey before we even moved in and her name is Dolly and people called us the Funny Farm and after having the donkey it just rolled into Funny Ass Farm and it stuck and so from there we actually um, came to the fair I believe it was 2019 and I saw dahlias at the state fair and that's actually how the idea of flower farming came up is I saw dahlias and then looked into how to grow them and then I fell into the world of flower farming that I had no idea existed. Wow, that's a that's actually a really fun story. I did not know anything about the donkey and that helping to name the farm, so that's really ironic. I love it. And tell us a little bit more about the flower farming because that's something super interesting that we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast before. Uh, what type of flowers do you grow and what does flower farming really entail? So I kind of find, fell into it at a good time because during COVID there was a lot of shipment delays and like people couldn't get flowers like shipped to the local florist and stuff like that because of the international hiccups, I guess, with the shipping. I guess I fell into it. I actually took a class before I even started flower farming and that helped me start from the basics of basics from the business side of it, getting everything set up. What tools do I need? And so we have a small little spot on our farm that's about a third of an acre that we cram probably a few thousand stems off a week. Um, and so it's, it's intense, but um, you plant everything super close together and you succession plant as well. So with that, we do rotations of sunflowers every week. We plant a few hundred every week. Um, and those typically have a 50 to 60 day window of maturity. And so with that... Uh, we're able to have sunflowers supplied to our farmer's market and to our local florist every every week. 
Wow, that is a lot of flowers. So how much time does it take to go into all of this and planting? Do you have to plant by hand and with harvesting as well? How does that work? So I started with a shed this year that um, I converted into a grow space um, with lights. And I started a lot of stuff back in end of February, early March to get a head start um, because there are some flowers called cool flowers um, in which can tolerate cold. And so with that, I was able to start them six to eight weeks before I planted them out. So with that, I was able to plant out early and have blooms for our, our uh, first mar farmer's market that was at the end of May. With that, I also had my successions of warm season tender annuals that can be planted out until a week or two before our uh, last frost in May. And so with that, I was able to, you know, keep the flower train rolling and making sure I had everything. But I use soil blocking, which is a very small handheld tool that I can do 23 quarter inch blocks on that and start all my seeds so I can start a few thousand in a very small spot. So you are super knowledgeable about all of this for having only done it for what, a couple years now, two years, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. And then you also, like you mentioned, you supply your um, local florist and then you make uh, some arrangements to sell at farmer's markets. How did you learn about making arrangements and what are some techniques that you use to kind of go into building those? I have watched a lot of YouTube because um, I guess I had no idea. So when you kind of start Googling stuff and YouTubing a lot of stuff, you kind of fall into a bigger hole every time you find something because that just leads to something else. But with our bouquets for market, what we do is we set an assembly line so that it, we can make 50, 60 to bouquets in about an hour. So about one a minute. That's probably even too long for some people. But basically, we just have a big kitchen island lay all. We figure out a recipe of what flowers we have. And then we're able to just go right down the line and put a flower down, put another one down. And then once we have our bouquet done, then we can pick it up. And then Adrian's the one that's able to wrap it and make it look good and presentable for market. <laughs> that's awesome. It sounds like everything's based out of your home. And you've put a lot of thought and effort into figuring out how this all works. And on top of your flowers, you have a couple of other um, parts to the farm as well, don't you? Um, we just have animals. A bunch animals? Of animals. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. what type of animals do you have and what do you do with them? We have two horses and a colt that was just born in April. Um, we have chickens that we have. We sell their eggs at the Ankeny Farmer's Market and dogs, goats. So the farm is just funny in general. I love that. And I'm sure your son loves it as well. It's a great operation. And if listeners want to learn more or check out some flowers that you have for sale at some point, where can they go to do that? So we have a couple different options. We have Facebook. We're on Facebook, Funny Ass Farm. Instagram, Funny Ass Farm. Um, and then we're at the Ankeny Farmer's Market every Saturday from 8 to noon. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. We really appreciate it.
Well, listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. If you happen to be in Iowa or the central Des Moines area, be sure to stop by the Iowa State Fair. Check out all of the amazing exhibits that 4-H and FFAers have going on here, as well as the 64 new foods that they have to offer. But in the meantime today, I'm going to let you go.